Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lewis. Beautiful. Well, Lord, we'd just like to thank you because Calvary does cover it all. Our sin and shame doesn't matter anymore. You took your, you took your, our sin, past, present, future, on everyone on the face of the earth who, who believes in you, and you, you judged it, and we became clean, and we inherit the robes of your righteousness as you inherit our sin. Unfortunately, fortunately, I should say, you were sinless, and death had no dominion over you. Because death had no dominion over you, we can live also. We're so grateful to you, Lord, for what you have done, saving our souls, causing us to be born again, causing us to believe in Jesus Christ, to pass from the old nature to the new nature, to pass from death unto life, all because of what you've done, Lord. You're amazing. It's amazing. First thing that you loved us, even though while we were yet sinners, you died for us. That kind of love is unheard of by man. But you loved us so much that you willingly went to the cross for us. Your body was broken. Your blood was shed. The very earth had the wisdom to know that the Savior was dying and the earth crumbled and, and uh, cried as you laid upon the, were, were on the cross dying. Oh, Lord, that men would see what you have done and come unto the cross of Jesus so that they too can be born again. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Father God, I wish, I pray, I long for the whole world to be born again, to come to the saving knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, maybe there's someone out there tonight that needs you and will have the courage and the strength and the wisdom to receive you as our, their Savior and their Lord. Without any faith, it's impossible to please you, Father. So give them faith that they can believe in your Son, Jesus, and let them follow after and serve you all the days of their life. And to you be the glory for it all. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. God bless you, church. You may be seated for those of you who are here. As I said earlier, we'll be in Genesis chapter 28. I'm going to read from the New Americans. No, no, I'm sorry, the New King James Version here tonight. Here it is, Genesis 28, verse 1. Well, let me go through this first. First of all, last chapter, you remember that Isaac uh, was deceived by Rebekah and Jacob, and the birthright was given 
to I uh, to uh, Jacob. Now God had said that whenever you know when He prophesied or had it said to to Rebecca that uh, two nations would be in her womb, and the older would serve the younger. God had already spoken, but. We remember Rebecca wanted to help God out. She didn't need to do it because she she did it. You know, it it caused some big problems. Once again, her favorite son was tonight. You're going to see him sent away, and Rebecca will never see her son again as long as she lives. So she said that uh, let let the uh, punishment be upon me, the curse fall on her and. Her curse was she never got to see Jacob again before she died. He was in Pandamaranta as, as, as many as 10, 20 years. So, uh, and she died within those 20 years. So, uh, that's, the, that's the background for chapter uh, 28. So, uh, we'll read on chapter 28 now. Don't pay attention to the mic. We had some trouble with the, with the head mic tonight. We had a lot of static, so I just moved to this uh, handheld. Okay, 28, verse 1. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said to him, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Pandan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's brother, and take yourself a wife from there of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you. And make you a fruitful and multiply you. And may you be an assembly of people and give you the blessing of Abraham to you and your descendants with you, that you may inherit the land in which you are a stranger, which God gave to Abraham. So Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Pandamaram, to Laban, the son of Bethuel the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau. And we'll stop there for a minute, just those first uh, five verses. You remember, even though, even though um, Jacob deceived Isaac, he honored the blessing. He honored the blessing that, that he gave to, to, um, to Jacob. I kind of think that maybe Isaac got the message, finally, that it was Jacob that was to inherit the, the blessing. And I showed you last week that what comes with the, the first son being blessed is comes the spiritual blessing. Uh, the spiritual side of the family. He's to be very spiritual. And we know that Esau wasn't very a very spiritual man. So I think Isaac blessed Jacob, even though he was deceived. But yet you see in this chapter, in the first four verses there, that he honored his blessing. And he would not take back the blessing that he had. I'm sure that the Holy Spirit, even though he wasn't given to men, and you know, uh, told Isaac that... Um, you should have uh, blessed him in the first place. You shouldn't have picked favorites in your family. As you remember, the last chapter, we were told that, that Isaac had a favorite, and that was Esau. 
and Rebecca had her favorite, and they were Jacob, even though they were twins, but they weren't, they weren't uh, you know, like twins. They were very uh, different. Uh, Esau was a very hairy man. He was red, okay? And uh, Jacob seemed like he's a normal um, sissified son, I guess you could say. So when Isaac was old, now right here, if you figure everything out and go by the statistics, he's about 135 years old. Okay, and, um, oops, I'm sorry. I'm on the wrong chapter. First five verses. Isaac agrees with Rebekah and uh, what the Lord has been telling him all along, that Jacob, not Esau, was going to inherit the birthright to the family. And since he was deceived, as I mentioned, Isaac went along with it. He knew that, that it was Jacob that had to inherit the, the birthright, and he does not take the blessing back and give it to Esau. He, here he says, listen, Rebecca, if you remember right, Esau vowed to kill, to kill Jason, Jacob. So what did Rebecca do? She figured, I better get my son out of here. So she actually went to uh, Isaac and said, I don't want my son to have a wife from the sons, uh, sons of Canaan. And you know, we know that Esau took two wives from the prior chapter, two wives from the sons of Canaan, and they were a thorn in Isaac and Rebekah's side. So she used that as an excuse to get Jacob to send, you know, Isaac to send Jacob away. So um, he goes, he, want, he tells him to go take a, a wife from the sons of Bethuel, you know, who, and to Laban, okay, and take one of his daughters. Now, Laban was the brother of Rebekah. That means he's marrying his first cousin. Okay? Remember, I told you the Mosaic law is not written yet. Okay? It was not a sin in those days. Did you ever watch Multiplicity? There was a movie out there that uh, it, was one of, it was a f comedy. Um, and what happened was, the one guy was so busy with life, he says, I'd like to clone myself, okay? So he cloned himself, and this, the first clone, you know, he would have do the work around the house, and the other one would go to work, and, but he was just a little bit off from the original. So finally, he decided that was okay. He decided he'll clone himself again. He'll clone the clone. And before you know it, you know, he had about four of them. And when it got down to the fourth one, he was like a, basically an idiot. Because you got to remember, now the bloodline is perfectly pure from Adam and Eve. But it's going to deteriorate as, as time goes on. So I think by the time we got to the Mosaic Law, you know, the bloodline was so pure back in those days, and it just deteriorated over the years to the point where today, if you, if you marry your first cousin, you can have problems. Uh, you know, um, what can I say? Uh, medical problems. So you got to remember, God didn't establish the law yet, and of course you know that he knows there's a reason for all of that. So the reason the birthright, as we know from Genesis 12, 1 through 3, that the birthright for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is going to be land, 
blessing and people. Land, blessing, and people. And this birthright is going to pass on to, to, um, to Jacob. Now, you know the patriarchs of our faith are Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And this establishes the bloodline that is going to, to that Christ the Messiah is going to come from. So we can see uh, what God is doing here, okay? He did it all. Though he goes to Pandamaran, which is Haran. You remember where, where Haran was in the Bible when we studied Genesis? That was up in, in Iraq, okay? And that's where Abraham was from. That was the family. He was actually from Ur, and he came down to the Promised Land. He stopped in Iran for, for a period of time because his dad was sick, and his dad died. Then he headed down to the Promised Land where God told him to go. So this is Abraham's uh, land where he came from. So we see he has family up there. Okay? So Isaac understands that the covenant from the family has got to be followed and that Jacob is going to inherit the birthright. He'll carry the seed to Messiah is what I'm saying. It says here in uh, verse 3 and 4, that you may inherit the land in which you are a stranger, which God gave to Abraham. Remember, they owned nothing yet in the promised land. This was all by faith. They're telling, the Bible's telling us that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob owned nothing in the promised land, but yet that land would be given to them. So that is faith, kids. That's faith at work. He actually believed what God had said. And we look back, you know, this happened about 1400 B.C., so we're talking 3,400 years ago. We look back and we see it has come to pass. See, God's the God of not just our generation, but all generations. So he goes to Pandam Aram, and he ends up there for 20 years as we're going to see as the next chapters come on. Verses 6 through 9. Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Pandam Aram to take for himself a wife from there. And that as he blessed him, he gave him a charge saying, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and had gone to Pandam Aram. So Esau saw that the daughters of Canaan did not please his fathers. In other words, he didn't like their, his daughter-in-laws, and neither did Rebekah. Okay? So he decided that Esau went to Ishmael, which was Abraham's son by Hagar, remember? And he took Methalah, Methalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Naboth, and to be his wife in addition to the two the wives that he had. So he figured, I'm going to try to please dad now, get on his good side again, you know, and he goes and takes a wife from, e from Ishmael's. So that puts, and we know that Ishmael is the flesh side of, of the uh, Abraham's promise, and we know that Isaac was the, the spiritual side. Esau, for verse 6, we know that he's, he's kind of a natural man. There's no indication in his life whatsoever of being, having any spirituality. Um, he forfeited his spiritual duty, and remember, he, and God wasn't pleased with him because he sold his birthright for a bowl of, bowl of stew. Jacob had 
had um, his blessing, and, and uh, Esau hates Jacob for what he did. The parents send Jacob away, you know, to sort of save his life, to take a wife. Um, Esau's life is just a continual reaction of what he sees. It's, he's, he's operating in the flesh, and he continues to operate in the flesh. And that's something that we today don't want to do. People of faith, they walk by faith and not by sight. Believers walk by faith and not by sight. That's what we're supposed to do. That's, that's what faith is all about, believing what you haven't seen yet. Just like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they, they haven't possessed anything in the promised land. They saw it, but they knew that someday it will be theirs. And today we well know that it is theirs. He te Esau attempts to wear in his parents favor, of course, and uh, he goes to the physical line. Again, you see him always drawn into carnality, always drawn into carnality, not a spiritual bone in his body. His, his uh, insights, Seesaw's insights, are, are based strictly on what he sees. Now, that's addressed in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. It says, but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. Listen, Ishmael and Esau here, didn't didn't believe that, that they were just natural men and they they cannot know because they're not spiritually discerned you and I know because we're spiritually discerned when we were born again the Holy Spirit came into our life and uh, and we became born in the spirit as you know as you well know and therefore, now everything's illuminated. Now when we see things, when we read the Bible, when we look into the world, we see the spiritual side of things, what's happening. It's like a world within a world that we see. You know that when you got born again, something changed. You, the, you know, the clouds were brighter. The birds sung louder and prettier. You know, um, life was just a joy for a, a period of time. But, you know, of course... All is, you know, we can't say is always like that because we have up and downs. Otherwise, Psalm 23 would be left out of the Bible. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But it isn't left out because there are times when we're in the valleys. You know what? It's great to be on a mountaintop, but if you look at the mountaintops, there's nothing there but snow. Maybe a green tree or something like that, an evergreen. You know, that's about it. But in the valley, there's living water. There's, there's butterflies, there's birds, there's rabbits hopping around, but there's also predators. There's also predators, and we have to be careful. So, verses 10 through 15. Now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went towards Haran. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. He took one of the stones of the place that had and put it under his head, and he lay down in that place to sleep. Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on earth, and its top reached to the heavens, and there were there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. 
And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of your father Abraham and of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and in you and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and I will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to the land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken. You can see right here, God is initiating the original promise that he gave to Abraham and to Isaac. Now he's, he's putting it, giving it to Jacob. He's going to give him, remember, land, blessing, and people. Land, blessing, and people. So he's in, he spends the night, at, in verse 19 tells us he's at a city called Luz, which is 12 miles north of Jerusalem today. Okay, Abraham's first fellowship was there in Genesis chapter 12 and chapter and verse 8. Jacob has a strange dream. It's clarified a little in the book of John chapter 1 and verse 51 as we're going to look, we're going to turn there shortly. But 28, let's see, Genesis 28 verse 12, Behold, a ladder was set upon the earth and its top reached to the heaven. And there were angels and gods and angels and of God ascending and descending on it. What does that dream mean? What does it mean? Does anybody have a picture here of what's going on in the New Testament? You remember? Yes, no? Yeah, some do. Okay. Um, listen, there was a t if you turn to John chapter 21, uh, tw I'm sorry, 1, John 1. John chapter 1 and verse 51. That's a long chapter. John chapter 1 and verse 51. It takes a long time to find the right page, doesn't it? I'm going to start a little earlier. I'm going to start in verse 48. Nathanael said to him, okay, how do you know me? Let's go up a little bit further. Verse 46. And Nathanael said to him, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and said to him, behold, an Israelite indeed whom, in whom there's no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? He knew his name. He didn't even meet him yet. Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, hereafter you shall see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. 
on the Son of Man. Behold the ladder. Who's that ladder? Who's the ladder here? It's, it's none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the ladder that the angels descend on. It's written in, in Genesis chapter 28. Behold, the ladder was set upon the earth, and its top reached to the heaven, and there were angels of God descending on it. And verse 51 says, uh, the, you know, God, the angels of God and ascended and descended upon the Son of Man. So that draws a picture to the Old Testament that the ladder is to heaven is going to be Jesus Christ someday. That ladder is Christ. Now we see it come to pass, you know, 3,400 years later or so, right in that area, it comes to pass. Jesus is the ladder. The angels kept coming down from heaven. You know, now he's on earth. He's the ladder. You know, I used to listen to some songs that I shouldn't do before I was a Christian. And there was this group, and you, ever, you probably all know them if you're around my age. It was Stairway to Heaven. You know, you know who the stairway to heaven is? Because this ladder represents a stairway. Jesus Christ is that stairway that leads, leads to heaven. Whoever wrote that song, I think it was Led Zeppelin or something like that. You know what? They find out maybe the hard, I hope they don't find out the hard way that you don't get to heaven through the stairway to heaven. That the only stairway is Jesus Christ and him crucified, dead and risen. He's the ladder that we're talking about. Jesus is actually coming back to Genesis chapter 28 to clarify some things here. And it says in Genesis chapter 28 verse 13 that the Lord stood above it. Does that tell you something? That Jacob actually saw the Lord. Okay? And, and when we say Lord here, we're not talking of Elohim, Jehovah, Yahweh. We're talking about the Son of Man sitting at the top of, uh, at the top of that uh, ladder, because no one can see God the Father in all of His fullness, you know, at any time, or they just perish. But this was a picture of the Son of Man. You're going to see in the chapters coming up that Jacob's going to be wrestling with the Son of Man, and he knows who he is. He knows who he is, and and uh, and he says to he says to the angel that he's wrestling. He said, I'm not letting go of you until you bless me. And the Lord did bless him. It says the Lord did bless him, and, but he gave him a, a hip problem where he had limped the rest of his life. So that's a reminder, you know, that you can't, you know, it's just a reminder that he met God. He met God. So you remember when Elisha, you know, wanted to see God and God put him into the cleft of the rock. You know, he said, listen, if you, if you see me, you'll just perish. But I'll let you see my hind parts. So when the Lord came up to the cleft of the rock, he put his hand over the cleft, and he passed by, and he let the, his hind parts be seen. Otherwise, he the man would have perished in that. Jesus is the ladder. He's the bridge for heaven. And we know from Acts chapter 4, verse 12, that... that um, you know, there's no other name under heaven by which you must be saved. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Jesus said, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. God says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever, perish, whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Listen, the scriptures are clear. There's only one way to heaven. 
Jesus is the ladder. He's the bridge. He's the stairway. He's the only way you get to heaven. He's the ark that saves you like Noah. Noah's ark saved the animals and, and the eight people on the ark. He's the ark that saved you. And we got to remember that. Jesus, Timothy, Paul tells Timothy, there's one mediator between God and man. And that man is Jesus Christ because he's God, fully God and fully man. He's not 50% God and 50% man. He's 100% God and 100% man because the seed in Mary was of God. Okay, and and Mary was the flesh part, so she's she's the the one that inherited the seed. Women don't have seed, men have seed. God had the seed. Mary was the recipient of that seed, and that makes her the son of God. Um, that makes Jesus the son of man and yet the son of God because the seed was of God the Father. And the Holy Spirit overshadowed her, said the angel to Mary. The latter shows that the Lord was with Jacob. The Lord was with Jacob. God is getting his attention. God is doing exactly what he did in the New Testament, like with the woman at the well. You know, he, he, you know she was, he was asking for, for, for carnal water, and uh, you know, she was thinking of just regular water, and Jesus is thinking of living water. She said, he said to the woman at the well, if you knew who was talking to you, you would ask for living water. See? Um, and he did, what he did was he turned her from looking at carnal things or, or, or earthly things. He turned his eye, her eye to, to the Lord. He went from, from carnal, from natural man to spiritual man. He did the same thing with the blind beggar in, in John chapter 9. The blind beggar, he was born blind. He did exactly the same thing. He, the, the guy wanted to see. Jesus made mud, put the clay in his mouth, in his eyes, and said, send him down to the pool of Siloam and wash off. And he went down there, and he could see after he washed off. But then Jesus showed up again. Later on, he said, hey, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he said, who is he, Lord? And he says, I am. He said, I believe. He went from carnal to spiritual. And that's, what, that's what's happening here. God's turning Jacob from his carnality because he doesn't really have much of a spiritual life at this point but God's getting his attention right here right now where Abraham uh, once worshipped okay which is his grandfather as you well know he's having a life change experience a personal encounter his life is going to start changing from this point on. Each one of us here that believe in God, somewhere along the line, we had a spiritual encounter. Unless you don't know God. Unless you're over the, inter over the internet here. I don't know if you know God. But you know what? If, if you're seeking God right now, if you're listening to this, God's having a personal encounter with you, telling you who He is and how you can be saved from the penalty of sin, which is eternal death. A personal encounter with God. Jacob's receives, he's receiving really revelatory knowledge of who God is. Just like you and me. We received that revelatory knowledge one day that said to us, Jesus Christ is the Lord. 
Jesus Christ did die on the cross for our sins. Jesus Christ is risen the third day. That was revelatory knowledge that we came to know Him. Revelatory knowledge. It was a revelation. Some of it, like me, it hit me hard. Some of you, maybe it didn't, didn't quite hit you so hard. But I needed to be hit hard because of the way I was living, the way I was raised. Now, some people were just raised into it, and they're automatically thinking, you know, they're, they're born again, but they didn't have a dramatic change like Paul did on the road to Damascus. Jacob's, God's getting Jacob's attention a little bit at a time. Here he sees a, stair, a, a stairway to heaven, angels descending upon it. The New Testament tells us that, that that ladder is Christ, okay? And up at the top he sees God. That's not God the Father. You're seeing the Son of God, a pre-incarnate uh, appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we saw many times already as we're into, into this book of Genesis. God speaks to Jacob personally and establishes his covenant, which I said. Now he, he told Abraham it. He established the covenant with Isaac. And now he is establishing the covenant of land, blessing, and people to, to Jacob. And here's the promises that God makes to Jacob. Jacob's, number one, Jacob's descendants will inherit Canaan. That's the promised land. The people on that land weren't nice people. They, they sacrificed children. They were idolatrous. They were sexual. They were not good people. Verse 13 says, The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your descendants. And that's Bethel. That's the land of Canaan, the promised land. It's Israel's territory, Israeli territory today. Number two, Jacob's descendants would flourish as the dust of the earth. You know, right today, I went on the, on the internet and I, I checked things out. On, listen, in 1882, there's estimated there was 7.8 million Jews on the face of the earth, 1882. In 1945, just after, the pent, after Hitler, where about 6,000 were killed, there's 11, 11 million Jews. Okay, today, well, 2019, there's written 14 uh, million, 707,000 Jews. So we can approximately number the Jews, right? That's just in this generation, and from 1882, how about before that? How many Jews were there? You can't count it. It's innumerable. And if you add in that we are spiritual Jews, and you pick up the Christian side of it because we are we're spiritual Jews because we believe in God. You know, we believe that that Yahweh is the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Messiah of Israel, who saves us from our sins. So that adds us to His descendants. So now I went on online and I figured figured out in in 2010. Okay, 20,000, 2010, uh, there were 2.2 billion Christians on the face of the earth. Now, that doesn't count the generations before us. So you're talking 
It's innumerable. We can't possibly count. This, again, has already been fulfilled and will continue to be added more people. There, the, Jacob's descendant will be like the dust of the earth. Abraham was told that like the dust of the earth and the stars of the sky, which I told you that most scientists today say that the stars of the sky and the sands of the sea are about the same number, and they estimated 10 to the 21st power. So that puts 21 zeros after 20 or 10. You can figure out that number, you let me know. It can't be done. This has been fulfilled. Just like the land has been fulfilled because Israel does possess that land today. Not all of it, but some of it. Number three, Jacob's descendants are scattered over the face of the earth. They will be sent abroad. Do you know that there's Jewish people in every nation? Do you know that there's Christians in every nation on the face of the earth? That fulfills this promise of promise number three, that Jacob's descendants are scattered over the face of the earth. There's Jews in every country, every continent on the face of the earth. Number four, all families of the earth will be blessed by Jacob's seeds. All the families of the earth are called to be blessed by the seed of Jacob, who is the Messiah of Israel. Every one of us, as every Christian today, is blessed because, because of, you know, all the families are blessed because of the seed of Jacob, which leads, this is the bloodline coming up to Christ. So we've all been blessed. We celebrate Christmas. We celebrate Resurrection Sunday, which is Easter. You know, we have all been blessed. And all the people that are dead and gone and in their graves have all been blessed, you know, by, by the Jews because of the seed that is leading, has led to Messiah. And we find that in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 16, you know, where, where the Bible tells us there that, that um, your seed, which is Christ, talking about the seed, which is Christ. So, so we come by, you know, that's what it's talking about here. See, God's way ahead of us, you know. He's talking about the seed, you know, which is all the families. We're talking about, God's talking about the seed that he told, you know, that he told Satan in the garden. He told him, he said, the seed of the woman will crush your skull and you only bruise his heel. We got it all the way back to Genesis 3.15. Isn't that cool? God is the God of all generations, all the families of the earth. Number five, God would be with Jacob wherever he went. He said in verse 15, I am with you wherever you go. Isn't, didn't Jesus say something like that to us? He said, go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He already promised that. He goes to Hebrews 13.5, you know, that, that I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Again, this promise is fulfilled. You know, amazing. Amazing what God has done and what he can do. He promises in Philippians 12, you know, that, that um, not 12, but anyway, he, he promises that he began a good work in us, he's going to finish it. And that's what he'll do. Number six, Jacob would return to Canaan. God's telling him, you know, he's, all, he's on a trip to Pandam Aram, remember? 
which is Iran, up in Iraq, okay? He's on a trip up there, but God says, I'm going to bring you back to this land. So he ends up, we're going to find out in the next couple of chapters, 20 years in Pandam Iran. So you're going to see him come back, and that promise will be fulfilled, you know, back in his day. In our day, we already see it has been fulfilled, okay? He will bring us back. You'll see that. It's 20 years later. It shows up in Genesis chapter 33. This establishes here that Isaac, uh, Jacob is the third patriarch, you know, of all the patriarchs, our father, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God is certainly with him. We're going to see in the chapters that come that, that he's going to wrestle with the angel. He's going, to, he's, going to be, he's going to hold on to that angel until he blesses him. The angel does bless him, but the angel gets a, a, a grip on his hip, and he's going to... He's going to He's going to limp the rest of his life. And are always a reminder. It's kind of like Paul, you know, the thorn in the flesh. I think that thorn in the flesh to Paul was to remind him that, you know, that God touched him. He's not, he's not doing this on his own. And I think that's the same thing here. You know, God's saying, you ain't doing this on your own, Jacob. I am with you. I am the one doing it. He said, you know, I'm, I'm the latter I'm the one that's fulfilling these promises. As we go on, later on, I got a study here on the 10 steps of, of Jacob's spiritual development. And you, you can see right here, he's starting to be developed into the man of God that God wants him to be. And isn't that the prayer you and I probably prayed when we came to know the Lord? You said, Lord, I believe. I forgive my sins. I believe Jesus came, died, buried, and is risen I believe he's the Lord. You know, make me the man or the woman you want me to be. Make me the man. Here, God's making Jacob that man. His name is going to be changed. I mentioned it. Jacob, which is deceiver or heel catcher, to Israel. His name is going to change to Israel. So really, it's Abraham, Isaac, and Israel is the patriarch's because his name was changed. And why was his name changed? Because he was born again. An Old Testament saint born again with a New Testament spirit. Now he had a vision for God. The Holy Spirit wasn't in him, but he was you know, working alongside him as a paraclete, as we find out as time goes on. And I think, it's, I think it's appropriate to say that when we were born again, you may already be carrying the name that God named you when you were born, or he may just change your name. You notice he changed Abram to Abraham. He changed Sarai to Sarah. You know, he changes Jacob here to from, from a heel catcher or deceiver to Israel governed by God. Listen, you and I should be governed by God. So that means there's something happened in him. He was changed. He believed. When he saw the Son of Man at the top of that ladder to heaven, there were the beginning stages of him believing in Jehovah, believing in God. Verses 16 through 22. And then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. 
and, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate to, of heaven. Then Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone he had put at his head, set it up as a pillar, and poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of that city had been Luz before, previously. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and keep me in the way that I am going and give me uh, bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace. Then the Lord shall be my God and his stone, which I have set as a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give you a tenth. First of all, you know, he took that stone. He figures that this is a holy place because God's here. There's a stairway, there's not a stairway, but a ladder to heaven. God's standing at the top of us. Obviously, this is God's place. How awesome is this place? So he takes the stone he was laying on, pours oil on it, and you and I both know that one of the symbols of the Holy Spirit is oil. You know, he poured oil on it, okay? And he called the name of that place Bethel. He, he renamed it. He renamed it. Because it was formerly Luz. Okay? We see that he sees that this is the gate of heaven. You know, when I saw that, I thought, Jesus said this in John chapter 10. He said, I am the door. I am the door. He's the door. I am. One of the great I am statements. I am the door. Listen. A gate means a door. A gate or a door, either you can either be shut in or shut out. And a gate or a door. Well, we're going to find out that Jacob's going to be, you know, shut in to that gate as time goes on. Okay? The Lord in this place, the Lord there is all capital letters, and that means Jehovah or Yahweh or Elohim, which is the plural uh, versions of, of God's name. Elohim is plural, okay? So now we already saw that the Son of Man, or Son of, Son of God, was up at the top of the, the ladder. So we see not the whole God in all of his fullness there. You can see Jesus. People have seen Jesus. And that's because he's, he's the radiance of God's glory. He's the exact representation of his power. But he's not, you know, he's all, his, all the fullness of God is encapsulated in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And as I showed you in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, that the Spirit of God hoovered over, in the beginning was God, and God created. Then second verse, and the Spirit of God hoovered over the face of the waters. And then the verse, third verse says, then God said, let there be light. So you see, you see the Father, in the beginning, God created. There's the Father. And you see the Holy Spirit hoovering over the face of the water in verse 2. So there's the Spirit. And verse 3 says, then God said, and where's the, who's the voice of God? 
Who's the voice of God? It's Jesus Christ. He's the one that speaks. You know, he's the one that spoke everything into existence. It's written in Colossians chapter 1 that there wasn't a thing made that he did not make that was, was uh, made in and through him. So we see that, you know, there's a, no de- there's a definitely no doubt that Jesus Christ is the Lord. There's definitely no doubt that, that God is one God, but he is in three persons. And as you well know, he made us in his image. Okay, and you know that we are body, soul, and spirit, aren't we? Aren't we? Body, soul, and spirit. We are triune beings. We are created in the in the in the exact image of God. And you notice in Genesis chapter three, God says, "Let us make man in our image." Three plural, two plural pronouns. Let us. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Make man in our image. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's, it's amazing. There's no doubt about it. How awesome is this place? Jacob is missing the, the, the omnipresence of, of, of the Lord here. Yes, the Lord is in Luz or Bethel, Bethel today, but he's also here tonight. He's also out there over the internet tonight. He's in every church. He's with everybody out there. He's all over the place. He's the omnipresent God. Satan can't be in two places at the same time. Did you know that? He can't be there. Only God can be there. Jesus said it's expedient that I go away. Otherwise, the helper won't come. I was telling everybody many times, if Jesus were on the earth today, everybody would want to go see him, at least at least Christians would want to go see him. You wouldn't get a flight to Jerusalem in probably 2,000 years. But because God is spirit and he sent his spirit into the world, we can be with him right here, right now. Isn't that cool? God had us all figured out. Listen, the stone, Daniel tells us that the stone here in Daniel chapter 2 that it, it is, is actually cut out of the mountain. We know that we know that Peter was told he's the Petra, but Christ is the Petros. Peter is the little stone. A lot of denominations get this mixed up. Peter is the little stone, but God, you know, uh, God is, Christ is the Petros. He's the rock mountain. He's the rock mountain from which that little stone was cut out. So, the oil, of course, represents the Holy Spirit. The, the name of the cities turned from Luz to Bethel, and Bethel means the house of God, if you were wondering. Jacob makes a vow here in verses 20 and 22, which is not very correct. He's, he's, he's a young believer, and young on his way to believing, Okay, and he makes, this vow is not a good vow to make. God, if you will be with me, now listen, if, problem number one, if you will be with me, and keep me in the way that I am going, and give bread to me, in other words, you give me food, clothing, and shelter, then I'll follow you. But if you don't, I'm not following you. You see that picture in there? There's doubt in here. Okay, you know, he says, so that I come back to my father's house. In other words, it's a prayer. He wants to come back. But, you know, if you're my God, then you'll do these things for me. He's demanding from God, which is really not a good thing to do. 
you know. Um, it's kind of like um, a careless uh, prayer, I guess you can say. You know, he's thinking totally of himself. This is the unholy trinity at work. Me, myself, and I. It's all he cares about in this prayer. You know, feed me, clothe me, shelter me, be with me, and then, then and bring me back, and if you do, you know, you will be my God. That's what it says in verse 21, last part. Then the Lord shall be my God. If you don't do that, I guess he's not going to be his God, right? So you've got to realize he's growing up. He's, you know, all of us were at that stage. I said stupid things like that when I was a young believer. You know, if you do this, Lord, I'll do that. No. You know, I sat on that rock in South Vietnam, and I said, God, get me out of here alive. I wasn't a believer then. I did come out of there alive, otherwise I wouldn't be standing here. But here's the thing. I, did, I didn't say, if you get me out of here, I'll serve you. I just said, get me out of here. You know, because I, I mean, my life was in danger every day. I wanted out of that place. You know, so, but you don't make a command. You just, you know, God loves you. He'll do it. You know, he'll, he'll take care of you. All his promises are yes and amen, says the scriptures. You don't go to God and say, if you do this, I'll do that. It's just sometimes he'll do it. And if he does do it, it's out of mercy or grace. He'll do it. I've had people come up to me. As a matter of fact, a good friend of mine up in Pennsylvania, I did a lot of sign work for him when I was in business. And he, his, his niece, his sister's daughter, was dying of cancer, just a teenager. And uh, he went to a, a Nazarene church, you know, Nazarene church. And he, he, never, he never really went, but he said to God, if you heal my, my uh, niece, I'll serve you the rest of my life. Well, he went to church with that, or that weekend, and she, she went up to the altar, and she was healed immediately. And God gave him his prayer. And he honored that prayer with God because he served the Lord for a long time. He used to buy school buses, fix them up. I'd come out and hand letter to what school it was, Greater Works Outreach or whatever, and uh, he would give the bus to people, all these ministries. He has a powerful witness. God did honor that prayer. You know why I think he honored it? Because, you know, this guy was saying, you know, I'll be saved. You know, you know I'm salvation was included in both for the young lady and for him. And that was a good thing. If God will be with me and keep me in the way that I am going and I and give me bread, food, clothing, shelter, I'm just ad-libbing there, and clothing and put it on. And, and if I come back to this land, in other words, you wanted to go back home, then the Lord shall be my God. That's not something good to say. I mean, he did say it. And God did it, and he did come back, you know, and he, he, he did accept the Lord, as you well know, as a Savior. But, and God honored that prayer, but, you know, I wouldn't pray to God, if you do this, I'll do that. I'd say, I'll do this, Lord, and if you want to do that, it's up to you. You don't even have to say that, because he already knows what's on your heart. Before it even comes out of your mouth, you might as well just keep it, keep it quiet, because he knows. And we see in the next chapter, and we'll end it here, you know, uh, Uncle Laban's going to deceive him, 
and it will teach him to trust in God and not men. But you know what? As you see Laban in the next chapter, his uncle deceive him. You're going to see what Jacob sowed is what Jacob reaped. It's um, amazing. So anyway, good studying. And, and you, you know, in, you, in the Bible, like you said, I just taught a message on Sunday morning. It was the scarlet thread that runs from Genesis to Revelation. And this is part of that thread that runs. The blood of Christ, Jesus Christ, the latter. All right, Father, thank you for the message here tonight, Lord. I just give you the glory, the praise, the honor. You're an awesome God, Lord, and you're our God. And what a beautiful thing to say. You are our God, our God, the one who loved us so much that he gave his only, only begotten son. And all we have to do is believe in you, and we will not perish but have eternal life. But, Lord, that word believe is a little bit more than what most people think. It means I'm going to stick to, I'm going to adhere, adhere to, I'm going to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. So help us to believe, you know, adhere to, trust in, and rely on you all the days of our life. And to you be the glory for our lives in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless the church. I love you all. Tune in Sunday, 10 a.m.